Access Netflix, Prime Video, Live TV, and more with the Xfinity X1 Voice Remote. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity today and get a great offer. You'll enjoy Xfinity X1, which gives you access to your favorite streaming apps like Netflix, YouTube, and Prime Video. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit an Xfinity store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. And here we are. It is episode number four of Gut Check Project here with Dr. Kenneth Brown. I'm Eric Rieger. Dr. Ken, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Episode number quattro. Number quattro. That is Spanish for radio. No, that is Spanish for number four. That is Spanish for number four, yes. You're yeah. you're pretty well versed in Spanish, aren't you? Yeah, we're a bilingual home, absolutely. Well, the uh, kids speak Spanish, and I'm probably the worst speaker in the house. But <laughs> well, that's A-OK. Hey, just a quick uh, tough Nod off the uh, off the jump. Don't forget that today's episode of Gut Check Project is brought to you by Autron Teal. Get your own Autron Teal at lovemytummy.com forward slash Spoonie. Use code Spoonie. Save yourself some money. So ha- I've been taking some voice lessons also to try and nail that uh, Autron Teal. How's that going? It's going horrible. Was that yeah. was that your was that your best shot? That was my best shot. Yeah. <laughs> That's not too bad. Also brought to you by KBMD Health. Brand new KBD CBD, but now you can get to the gutcheckproject.com and be linked directly to the KBMD store and find your own KBMD CBD. Awesome. Maybe if I gargle with that before I try and sing, it'll improve everything. <laughs> it could work. Well, we've got a great show today, and we're going to get to him in just a moment. But our guest today is Mark Simmelman, and we'll touch on that here in just a moment incredible story of survival new lease on life and what he's doing after his battle with cancer but if you've been watching gut check project for all of the last three weeks you know that our our uh, first half hour is news and notes for gut check project so dr brown what's happening new in the brown household here uh since our last show well um in the brown household what's really exciting is my daughter in her improv uh, uh, I guess theatric class. She's a sixth grader. She came home and taught me something really, really good that basically whenever you're doing improv, what you have to do is say yes. It's yes. And second thing you have to do is trust. Third thing is listen. And then the fourth thing is make a statement. And I heard that and I was like, I need your teacher to come over to KBS headquarters so we can work on that as a team building exercise, improv exercise to make a team. Yes. And I love that. Yes. And, and then I'm going to trust what's coming next. I love that. That's pretty wild that basically in an improv class, she's learning just great communication skill. That's what I thought. We were laughing about it last night. Cause I was asking her, you know, the kids come home. It's like, what did you learn today? And that's what we were talking about. The other really cool thing in our house is my son is currently playing in the finals of a really big tennis tournament out in Indian Wells, California, the Easter bowl. It's a big one. So at 11 o'clock our time, he will be playing in the finals. Very, very proud of him in both singles and doubles. So the Brown household's uh, having some good times right now. How about you? Uh, well, number one, shout out to uh, Lucas and Carla. Those are both uh, 
those are great notes to to be able to carry around as a dad. I know that you're proud of both of them. Um, for me, both of the boys have moved into off-season basketball. They're really fired up. They've been out of basketball all of about 10 days, which I think if you shoot hoop, uh, apparently that's way too long. So they both got started. Uh, but something that we did as a family that was a lot of fun, uh, I guess a little over a week ago, and I should have mentioned it for last week's show, I'd never done it before. My oldest son had actually done it before a couple of times, and that is we all sat down, relaxed, and got pedicures. And I'm here to tell you. Dad included. Dad included. Nice. If you haven't done it, don't knock it till you try it because I'm going back. That felt (laughs) awesome. And uh, no, I mean, I'll tell you what. I've got really ticklish feet. But I didn't know, something I learned about myself, is that my left foot is more ticklish than my right because as they began to exfoliate the bottom of my foot, uh, especially on the left side, I was crying from laughing so hard as I guarded my <laughs> mouth. And, of course, the uh, the woman doing it is looking up and laughing and giggling with everyone else as they exchanged uh, uh, their own jokes in another language that I also don't speak, just like Spanish, and uh, did it at my expense. It was completely worth it, and I will definitely be back. So... Uh, I almost got a pedicure one time. I was standing out front and um, I looked at my feet and it reminded me of the scene from Dumb and Dumber when they were getting ready and she took the grinder to its toenails and I just went, I don't want to do that to anybody. I'm just going to put these eagle claws back in the shoes and just keep on walking. Yeah, I was, you know, I was worried. I didn't want to, I didn't want to reveal like a a free toe toenail or anything else like that, but I think I I survived. (laughs) I walked away with the best looking feet I've had since probably I was a baby. Kids doing good, pedicured. Now, I don't even have to ask what you've been up to because you and I were actually hanging out. We were this last weekend. We Mm -hmm. definitely were. Business mixed with a little bit of pleasure. Yeah, and that was in uh, Eden, Utah, Powder Mountain. That was awesome. Incredible skiing, lots of powder. Fantastic. So much snow for late in March. It was beautiful. It's a great place to go and visit. Not crowded either. Now, our ski experiences were a little bit different, though. They were. They yeah. were a little bit different. So um, to put it in context, Eric was like heli dropping and taking these tractors up, and I actually had to be <laughs> escorted down the mountain by two wonderful people, Lindsey Vaughn and Susie Chapstick. But no, it wasn't <laughs> Lindsey Vaughn and Susie Chapstick. It wasn't. But it was Juliet and Karen, awesome. Um, so I survived. That was the big thing. Didn't break anything. Didn't do anything. But uh our experiences were totally different. You came back just, oh my gosh, that was incredible. Backcountry, just all powder. And I was like, oh yeah, mine was a little bit different. I had two women sort of guiding me down the mountain the whole way. So There's no shame in that. In fact, I'll even say whenever, you, whenever we got into our skis the first day, you and I had planned on even making a few runs together. It was snowing so hard. I stopped to buckle up my helmet because I'm safe. And I looked up and... Ken and the other four people that I was skiing with were gone. They probably weren't, you probably weren't 20 feet away from me, but it was a complete whiteout for the first, what, hour that we skied? Oh, no, it kept going. I ended up staying in that area and like true whiteout. I lost everybody. Like it was, you couldn't see your hand in front of you. It was, woo, that's yeah. not a way to do I had not been skiing in over 10 years. That's not the way to start. No. And shout out to Blake Kingsbury for finding me. He looked like a Yeti lost in a snowstorm. And uh, basically he was my beacon on the way down. I had no idea how to get down. <laughs> But uh, no, that was uh, that was a great time up at uh, Powder Mountain. If you like skiing, uh, snow skiing, deep powder skiing, you need to take yourself up there to Powder Mountain. Um, we're gonna move on here a little bit to basically the news because yesterday, while we were working at the Indo Center, you ran up to me and you said, "Look at this study. This is a little bit more in terms of what we've been talking about for catalysts and what causes cancer." 
I'm going to let you take it over from there because it's a pretty, uh, pretty incredible piece. Well, I thought it was so, um, it was just published. I thought it was so appropriate because we're going to have Mark on the show and we're going to be talking about cancer and surviving cancer. Well, in this, uh, just recently published in the Journal of Science this month, they did a study where they looked at how high fructose corn syrup actually enhances colon cancer in mice. So what they did is they took the equivalent of one soda a day and they gave the mice that amount of fructose corn syrup. Um, the issue is that they had genetically engineered these mice so that they would get polyps and cancer. Sure. Which is funny because you got to wonder like if you're going to be genetically engineered, you never think that you're going to get that. Like I'm genetically engineered, you know, to be faster, genetically engineered to be bigger, stronger. And then one poor mouse is like, I'm genetically engineered to get cancer. Yeah. And that's how they end up looking at these different studies. And so what they did is they showed that by giving the high fructose corn syrup, it dramatically raised the amount of polyps and cancer over 80 times the mice that were not given the high fructose corn syrup. And this is with an equivalent of one soda a day. One soda a day. So it's absolutely incredible because I don't know if you remember, but a year ago, a study came out where it was looking at how the rate of colon cancer in millennials has been going up. Sure. We did a video on that on YouTube where Ricardo was, we did the interpretive jujitsu. And um, what it showed is it felt that the millennials were getting a higher rate of colon cancer because of obesity. They showed with these mice, they did not become obese. They did not develop metabolic syndrome. It's strictly due to the fructose and the sugar that they were consuming. Then they were able to actually show that by taking this fructose, the tumor cells love it so much that they could put a radioisotope and they could show that it just got sucked up and it turns on certain genes that allows the tumor to go undetected. Absolutely fascinating because the fructose, um, and that the high fructose corn syrup they believe could be very similar to other like table sugar. Bottom line is tumors love sugar. And this is the first study that's been done where it really actually looked at that. And it's absolutely fascinating. <clears throat> I'm sorry. My allergies are bothering me real that's bad. Okay. here. Keep having to clear my throat. Um, what this actually shows is now they're looking at how to actually adapt fasting plus ketogenic diet when you have tumors, because right. If you're going to give them sugar, that's just going to absolutely feed it like crazy. So a fascinating study, just one soda a day can do this. So let's break down a few things here because you said a lot of impressive information. So if we were to backtrack, we could take away that tumor cells love sugar. They love, they love circulating glucose. That's going to be their main desired use for energy, and that's how they grow. They don't have energy, they can't grow. But something else that you said in there was was really captivating to me, and that is they were able to take the high fructose corn syrup after consumed and basically activate a process where the body could not detect that they were tumors themselves. So not only were they now stealing the energy so they could continue to grow as a cancer and develop into a, a bigger tumor, these little tumors now were being able or allowed to activate something where they were basically incognito, not being able to be detected by the mice and their immune system, correct? Well, exactly. It actually gets into, so this is where I start getting into the geeky stuff a little bit. There's an enzyme called ketohexokinase, which will change fructose into fructose-1-phosphate. Wow. That turns on 
the gene in the tumor to use the glucose more. So that's what tells it to absorb it more. So it actually is a little cascade. Mm-hmm. And they've actually shown that they're trying to develop drugs to actually block that. So there's actually phase two clinical trials going on where they're trying to see if they can block that one little enzyme that does that. Sure. So would it then be able, or would we then be able to extrapolate that maybe the reason why millennials are now seeing an increase in colon cancer is because generationally, probably if we were to back it up two or three generations, we've seen an increase in sugar consumption. People believe that sugar is related to inflammation that those two things combined together are now we're seeing an increase in these types of cancers. They're being detected because when you consume any type of food, it goes straight to your GI tract. Would you say that this is somewhat related or possibly related? Well, that was the funny part because this study gets you thinking about that because when they, when they've, this is the first time that we have seen people having a higher incidence of colon cancer than their parents. Right. It's the first time. And so it was speculated, oh, it's got to be obesity. It's got to be the metabolic syndrome. This is the first time we can look at something and go, no, it looks like it's the way that we're processing food. The high fructose corn syrup is in everything. Everything. But it's really concentrated in one can of soda. And so the consumption of soda has increased since the 80s significantly. So is it our diet that's doing this? We're trying to label it with different things. Oh, it's sedentary lifestyle or possibly it's smoking or whatever. No, looks like our diet is really contributing to the amount of cancers that we're seeing. You know, it's wild. If you just look back, I can remember looking back at pictures of my dad or my mom growing up and what family pictures looked like whenever they went on vacation. You would see everyone, all the ancillary players in the photographs around and who they considered to be overweight back then in the fifties and sixties and even the seventies. And it's starkly different than the, than the body types. So what people look like today and what we consider overweight. And for me personally, I really don't even point at those people. It's just our food supply is so inundated with lots of things that you're just are unaware could possibly be contributing to not only being overweight, but probably the diseases that maybe you're going to have that you don't even know that are manifesting right now. Unfortunately, possibly even colon cancer. And for a millennial, it becomes really kind of uh, disheartening that they're actually allowing, or the the insurance companies are allowing us to screen people at an earlier age, and they wouldn't do it if it weren't in balance with with cost. Mm-hmm. It's always more cost effective to catch a cancer early than late. So if they're allowing people to not have to wait till fifty to come in and just get their first screening. And now they've lowered it to, I believe, 45. It's 45. And if there's a family history of polyps, then it's 40 to start to begin. And that was not that way at all 10 years ago, for sure. It wasn't. And it's fascinating because here I am. I just got this article yesterday. You and I were, I was doing colonoscopies yesterday. And I just started jumping up and down because I realized that when patients go into recovery, most of them are given a can of soda after they get out. Makes gonna, no sense. I'm going to put a stop to that right now. We're going to put a stop. And I, I told all the nurses, I'm like, no more soda to our patients. We're trying to stop colon cancer and we're causing it by drinking these sodas. So we should at least lead by example. It'd be, you know, like giving our patients a pack of cigarettes when they're leaving the endo center. I got to admit that nobody in the hospital system seems, and for all my RT friends out there, I'm sorry, but if you want to find the smoking doc, 
Just look for the respiratory therapist outside of the hospital. <laughs> I don't know why that's the same at every single hospital, all through my training, every hospital I've been at. I don't know either. It, it's, it's, really, it's really kind of fascinating. Hey, um, before we, do you have any other quick takeaways from this particular study? Well, it's just that this one is just so impressive because it really shows that the way that we may be treating cancers in general is wrong. So I've talked to some of my cancer doc friends. I'm like, hey, do you put people on a ketogenic diet yeah. immediately when they do that? No, we don't. Do you ever use fasting when somebody has this? And we've discussed before that the fasting mimicking diet actually has been shown to improve the effect of chemo and decrease the amount of side effects, but that's still not being implemented. So here's one example. You know, it always starts out as animal studies and it works its way to humans, but I think that this is the first step to show, hey, proper treatment of cancer is to starve it, not to just dump a bunch of sugar on it, which is what we're kind of doing. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that maybe even when your body's trying to recover from uh, an episode of cancer and not just when it's chemo induced, but when people begin to lose weight, everyone immediately becomes concerned. Possibly it's sometimes the body just knows what it wants to do. And by starving these tumors from the circulating glucose is its first mechanism of defense of we've got to stop feeding this is basically this rogue cell or whatever it is that happens to be growing out of control. Yeah. And it's just, I, I think it's fascinating. Oh, did you see, speaking of fascinating, did you see that that um, California man was awarded $80 million because he had 56 acres that he was using roundup for decades and $80 million. That is so wild, but it's so, it's in, kind of incredible that it, that it took this long to find out about Roundup. I mean, we're spraying it on everything. So we've got, you've already got the deck stacked against you if you've got a carcinogen on your food. Sure. And then if you're going to take the corn fructose, which the corn was sprayed. Right. And now we've got a, you know, a double whammy going on right there. You know, I can remember when the first big movement or the big push of, of uh, non-GMO foods this, non-GMO foods that, and I was really rather ignorant in terms of what that actually meant. And it was really easy to find detractors from people who were purporting that movement. Like, oh, they're just, they're just afraid that we're doing food technology and food development, et cetera. It's so much more than that. It comes down to protecting you and yourself from carcinogens that you can't taste, you can't detect, you have no idea. You could have the healthiest person in the world who's exercising, not smoking, trying to eat right. And while they're eating the foods that they trust, such as a, just a great piece of broccoli, vegetable, they're actually consuming uh, glyphosate or Roundup in their food, and they get sick. There, I read another article which showed if you're exposed to Roundup on a regular basis, you have over a 41% chance of getting lymphoma, Hodgkin's lymphoma. I don't know where they got that data. I need to find the actual article. But in this particular study, they were referencing that because I think that was used. That's the type of cancer that that man got. Right. And that's why he was awarded this. So, Well, probably for a follow-up episode, because what we do here is always try to speak into the facts. I know that we've seen the trend on various types of cancers, including lymphoma, have been increasing. I just don't have it on hand. But we will tackle that uh, probably in a, in a future episode in terms of uh, non-GMO versus GMO, Roundup, glyphosate. I mean, there has to be something to it, though, because you have the lymphoma belt in the United States, which is Nebraska and Iowa, where I'm from. Agronomy. And that's why the University of Nebraska is so good at transplants because they were one of the first places to do the autologous bone marrow transplant because they were seeing so much leukemia and lymphoma. And they didn't, technically everyone said that they couldn't explain it. They didn't know what it was. But it's the same thing as whenever they first uh, figured out that black lung was kind of a problem. 
You know, I mean, it's, it's really no different. You, you, no one created the industry to make people sick, but once people begin to get sick, it's like, what's the explanation here? Oh, it's just kind of crazy that everybody's getting sick. And then you realize that it's a soot in the air and yeah. it's, it's really no different. Do you remember that time that you and I went to Virginia we worked in the coal mine that one day? Yeah. With Zoolander. Man, I was we tired. Got the black lung. <laughs> Merman, Merman. It's an underrated movie. <laughs> Speaking of movies, our guest today, he's sent me his uh, his top five movies, or at least that I reminded him of, that he wants to cover. Why did he send them to you? Well, he sent them to me because I was just curious on what he would like to talk about. It ancillary to some of his incredible story already, but we'll dig in and see how, how well he actually knows these movies whenever uh, the last half hour rolls around and see what Mark knows about his own his own favorite picks. Did he just send it to you or did he um, <clears throat> fill out our gut check project intake form? That's a good question. So if you have somebody that you'd like to nominate to be on our new show, gut check project, you can visit us at gutcheckproject.com. Go to connect and send somebody our way that you think would be a good fit for a uh, uh, gut check project to be interviewed by uh, your very own Dr. Brown. And on that form, of course, we find out, Really, a little bit of everything about who it is that we're going to have on the show. I, you know what? I mean, it's the, it's the Eric and Dr. Brown. I'm I'm here to just pull out movie lines occasionally when you say things like black lung in the middle of a cancer <laughs> talk. That's that's all I could think about. I'm like, oh, Zoolander. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that, that there's nothing wrong with I'm going to count on you to ask the hard questions. Okay. For any of our guests. Yeah. Why'd you say that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, I think in the future what we should do is... You, we should have an over-under. I want to see how many guests you can make cry, like Barbara Walters style. Okay. Really dig in deep. Makes sense. That's something I'm, I mean, physically, or you mean just by, by emotional questions? <laughs> well, it was funny because um, I actually, at the conference that we were at, uh, one of the things was uh, they had a bunch of movie directors that were actually there. And they were discussing when they start doing like uh, docu-series interviews, when the guest starts becoming uncomfortable, that's when they get their best footage and they really start pushing the boundary right there so yeah no question i mean that makes sense though because it's going to be the emotion right so it's, it's kind of raw emotion that's coming out yeah exactly so if you can just get everything that's real that's about all. i mean we're not you know I mean, you know we're doing the show here it's some of these uh movie lines some people don't like the movies it is what it is but it's real so hey before we finish this last half hour one of the main questions that we got since our last episode and uh, we got a lot on polyphenols cbd uh really about your hobbies. But the one that really stuck out to me that we had asked, I think six different times was how does CBD address anxiety? And we don't have a whole lot of time right now, but I'm going to let you take that. Yeah. We'll end up doing a whole show on that. But basically the way that I tell my patients is CBD just sort of presses the reset button and puts everything back in balance. And if you think of it, anxiety is just an overfiring nerve. It's like a sensitive nerve. All this does, is just calm it down like a traffic cop so that you just get all the anxiety is just a perception of neurons firing. Right. You know, the extreme version would be a seizure early on. It just calms everything down, gets it to go back to normal. And that's how I kind of explain it to my patients. I'm like, just try it. If you have a deficiency in your endocannabinoid system, chances are you're going to have a pretty good response with that. Wild thing is that just the multiple applications for utilizing the endocannabinoid system, which everyone has in their own body and basically resetting, just like you said, to make people feel better. And there's a bunch of different ways to make it happen, but rather than make it sound like a magic pill for everything, we really want to break that down and we'll 
keep those questions coming. Dealing with anxiety is something that we're going to have someone on, I think, in about six weeks. I think so, yeah. And uh, at that point in time, we'll get a much, much, much deeper. But any other applications of CBD and questions like that combined with polyphenols? And this is, yeah, so fire out questions because this is how we're going to figure out how to do other episodes. Definitely. What is, you know, anybody that's swimming towards us asking a question, we want to address it. And we have the ability to bring some experts in and we're just going to make sure that we do this and try to do it, you know, having some fun, but also, you know, we're kind of sciencey here. And so we want to make sure that we use science and studies to uh, explain everything in a very lay term. Hopefully we can do it because the endocannabinoid system is a tough system to explain. You said a word there, hopefully. And that's something that we want to do today with today's guest who's going to join us in the next half hour. Uh, we're going to bring a little hope to everyone. This, our next guest is Mark Simmelman, and he is the only documented five-year survival or survivor from de-differentiated chondrosarcoma. Oof. He's got an incredible story, so stick around. He is taking his journey and turning it into his way to reach others and deliver a great message. Awesome. See you then. Now you can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 800-452-1075. 800-452-1075. That's it. Got an old car? You can donate it, whether it's running or not, to the United Breast Cancer Foundation and save a life. They'll even come and pick it up for free. The United Breast Cancer Foundation has saved hundreds of women's lives through their free or low-cost breast screen exams. But now they need your help. The United Breast Cancer Foundation wants to save more lives through early detection by offering women free or low-cost breast screening exams. And donating your old car, SUV, or truck, whether it's running or not, helps pay for them. Plus, you get a charitable tax deduction. Help the United Breast Cancer Foundation save lives by donating your old car, SUV, or truck. Call now for free pickup. 800-245-0823. Call right now. That number again is 800-245-0823. Never Forgotten Apparel is more than just a premium women's and men's clothing line. It's a movement to remind us to wear American-made and serve those who serve us. Our heroes. Never Forgotten Apparel gives 20% of their total sales to nonprofits that support homeless veterans and off-duty firefighters. And 50% to individual veterans and firefighters in need nationwide. Check out NeverForgottenApparel.com. Use promo code MATT, M-A-T-T, and get 15% off your purchase. All right. We are back for the second half hour, episode four of Gut Check Project. I'm Eric Rieger, joined here by your host, Kenneth Brown. And now we have a fantastic guest joining us today. His name is Mark Simmelman. And as I, uh, as I mentioned at the bottom of the last half hour, it, he is the only five-year survivor of de-differentiated chondrosarcoma. The only five-year survivor on record. Uh, he's got an incredible story. I've actually known Mark for... Almost 20 years, 
Uh, you're an entrepreneur, your husband, father of three, former D1 football player. Where'd you play? Where did I play? Yeah. Was there other, other schools to play other than the University of Texas? I didn't, I didn't know they had a program. No. Did you know they had a program? I did not. I know. I know that University of Nebraska has one. Yeah, Texas Tech has a program. I didn't. When did yeah. y'all get that? Were well, you the first? Nebraska. That's Royal Memorial North. Because I think every time we go to Nebraska, <laughs> we we beat the Cornhuskers. Mark has an incredible story, and um, as I briefly mentioned, I've known him for almost uh, twenty years. I actually, uh, my wife and I bought our first home from you back when you were dabbling in uh, building homes. And uh, you've been a serial entrepreneur for a long time. Uh, go ahead, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump forward uh, a little bit. But uh, why don't you take it from there? Which part, the serial entrepreneurial part, or, well, the, or the cancer part? Because yeah. I, <clears throat> well, in 2010, I guess I was diagnosed with uh, bone cancer. Okay. And originally, it was just going to be a, a simple 19-hour procedure. 15 hours by the orthopedic surgeon and four hours by the plastic surgeon. And they were going to take out half my pelvis. So I actually had a uh, hemipelvectomy with allograph. I'm going to stop you real quick. Okay. Because we're going to get in. That's, I mean. You want, that's not what you're going. You're wanting something different. Well, no, it's, it's, it's how it kind of hid from you a little bit. So I remember bringing uh, my oldest, Gage, over to your house. And this would have been in earlier 2010, right? Right. And you were laying on the floor of your living room and <laughs> you kept saying, Rieger, my back. I just, I don't know what the hell's going on. I, this is the only place I can get comfortable to take a nap. And you were laying on the floor of your living room with your legs propped up and physician after physician had scanned your back and was trying to find out where the pain was coming from. And you right. got different diagnoses, all, and stretches and other things like that. They weren't working. And then it led to, Someone looking in a little bit different location. Yeah. So I guess in January of that year, I'm coaching my daughter's basketball team. And they were doing a drill. I didn't particularly like the way they were doing the drill. So I hopped in to show them, this is the way you're going to do the drill. And, uh, of course, they're 10 or 11-year-old little girls, and that's like herding cats. That ain't going to do very well. <laughs> so uh, I get up the next morning, and I've got this back pain. And I'm thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm a little older. I'm a little out of shape. Uh, just pulled something. A couple weeks later, it'll be fine. That didn't work. So it it gotten so painful and I was so restless that my wife kicked me out of the bed and I'd move to the couch. I couldn't get any comfort there. Then I'd move to the floor. And that's what you remember. I'm sleeping on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and that was the only place I could get comfort. Well, I'd been to two or three different doctors. I'd had uh, MRIs of my lower back. I'd had SI injections. Uh, I went to a chiropractor for a couple, three weeks. At a, he said, I, you, I can't get you straightened out. You need a massage therapist. Went to a massage therapist every day for a week. And she said, I can't get that. That muscle's in a, just like a rope, and I can't get it done. How old were you when you were going through that? 44, 45. Okay. And uh, the massage therapist says, hey, there's a new sports medicine guy across the street. Why don't you go see him? I walked in, and he looked at me and says, well, you've kind of got your gait's kind of funny. And he took an x-ray of my, my pelvis, which nobody had ever identified my pelvis because the pain was in my lower back. And uh, sends me across to the hospital to do an MRI of my, of my lower pelvis now. And I come back to him, and, and uh, in, in small town, you kind of know everybody that's there. Well, the radiology tech pulls me out of the out of the tube, and he's just kind of white. I can tell something's wrong. And his name's Mark also. And uh, 
Mark, what's the problem? So I can't tell you. You're just going to have to go back across the street and see the doctor. who have all the films and everything else. Well, he pulls up the films, and I've got this, you know, it's just lit up on screen, this tumor in my pelvis. And that was the first indication of where it was. I always thought it was just a muscular muscular problem and not a, not a bone problem or a cancer problem. Right. Is there any family history of bone cancers or anything like that? Nope. Lost my mom to uh, two Diet Cokes a day to brain cancer. There you go. And she fought that for 10 years and multiple, multiple surgeries. But uh, no bone cancer. Hey, Ken, is it even common for an older person to have a bone cancer? Well, it's, ex- it's, it's very rare. But the type of cancer that you're talking about, the one that you ended up being diagnosed with, what's unusual about it is it involves both bone and cartilage. And right. that's why they call it the de-differentiated type of cancer, where it actually goes into both of them. There's um, Paget's disease when you're over the age of 60 that can turn into bone cancer. But most of the time, it's kids that actually can get bone cancer. And that's called osteosarcoma. So this is a completely different one. It's very unique, very, very rare. Yeah. Well, the chondrosarcoma is is rare, uh, and that was the original diagnosis from the first biopsy, which is, like you said, bone and, and cartilage. And uh, after they took the tumor out and did a full biopsy, then they decided, wow, we pulled out a bunch of homogeneous cells at that point in time, and so the chondrosarcoma is not exactly what it is. Now, now they're slicing this, this loaf of bread to, to find the, you know, the real cancer. And it's de-differentiated, which means that they can't tell you where it came from. The way they described it to me was, if uh, what what's the what's the cell in your body that the T cells that produce the 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 cell, the, the osteoblast, no, or the it, chondroblast. Usually, it's it's a blast that's the precursor. No, so if I have a cell in my body, a stem cell or something that's going to create a fingernail or a mm-hmm. hair follicle, is it the stem cell? Yeah. Okay. So the stem cell, it it releases a cell to become a fingernail mm-hmm. or a hair follicle mm-hmm. right and that it was it's differentiated so it goes from what that stem cell is to the fingernail well it falls short and that's the de-differentiated part so they don't know where it came from um it ends up in all your organs at some point in time they there wasn't there is no cure that they have found at this point they just keep having surgeries and taking stuff out so what are you thinking now? You're 44 years old. You've got yeah. young kids. What's really going through your brain? I mean, let's walk us through somebody that actually, unfortunately, you're still here to talk about it. Yeah. But what's going through your brain? How, how, yeah, how did the doctor come in? And- well, so interesting part of the story, um, I'm, in, I'm in for a week, four, four weeks actually, in a body cast kind of that I'm laying in this bed and can't move. And, you know, let the bones and everything heal. And the first time the doctor comes in uh my, my orthopedic lady she brings a, a guy with her big six foot seven guy hey mark i want you to meet this guy from the blood bank okay great hey how mark you know she's yeah. always and she's this you know she's training all these fellows she's just this incredible physician innovative because five years prior to the surgery that she did for me they just took the leg off and just amputated so you're running around with no leg so she had created and innovated this this particular procedure um so the guy comes in from the blood bank, and he says, uh, I think we've infected you with HIV. And I'm going, what? <laughs> yeah, blood transfusion, I think we've given you HIV. So I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. I've already got this uh, this rehab that's going to be a 24-month rehab and learn how to walk and do all this other stuff again. And now you're going to complicate things and throw in a little HIV. And uh, I mean, He was kidding, right? Was this some No, he's dead of- serious. And... Uh, 
So we kind of freaked out. So it goes yeah, into this. Into yeah, this I com- kind of freak out also. This, this conversation that you'd asked I like earlier. How it's only kind of. <laughs> well, uh, he comes back, you know, two or three, four days later and says, all right, so we've retested your blood. It's not showing up. There's no markers in your blood. We're going to continue to test you, but I think you're okay. I think we have some kind of false reading. But he's just probably the, not. I mean, he's probably just the messenger. They probably have the biggest guy there. It's like, every hey, every time we infect somebody with HIV, it has send, to be send you him. to go do this. Send him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> I mean, how often does this happen in that particular blood bank? He's like, sorry, I got to get to another room over here. And Yeah. Victor, we have an assignment yeah. for you. So he leaves. I feel like I'm in the clear, but this is kind of a roller coaster of stuff that, you know, you've had the surgery 24 months. Now you're going to die of HIV or whatever. You got to, you know, fight this fight. Um, she comes in a couple, you know, weeks later or so and brings in another doctor and says, Hey, Mark, you're going to need to get your affairs in order. Oh, yeah. Cause you've got about at best six months to live. And I'm like, what? Wait, 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 wait. What's going on? And so you ask about what, what's going through your head. Um, I, there's denial. Well, first you've told me HIV, so I'm not buying your story anymore. And now you're yeah. telling me that I've got six months to live. I'm not buying that story anymore either. And, uh, you know, he leaves. And, and we go through all the scenarios. So what are the statistics? What's Is this legit? How do you know? Is this a misdiagnosis? Do you believe in miracles or mistakes? And he wouldn't talk about any of that stuff. He says, we're just going to have a positive attitude. You know, you're going to have a good family, a good support group. You know, you need to pray to whoever you pray to, and, uh, and we're going to go do as best we can. That's I think at that point, would I would become polytheistic. I sure. would just start praying to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he leaves, right? And so there was a guy in town, Aaron Mulstein was in town uh, visiting me in the hospital when this guy delivers the news. It's me and Aaron and my dad. And I'm going, oh, crap. And my wife's in, back home, and she hadn't heard this, and I said, all right. I'm not saying a word. Aaron, when you go home, you're not saying a word to your wife. I don't want this out until uh, my wife comes back in this weekend. And Dr. Ravi, by the way, you're going to deliver the news. I'm not going to tell her. Right. So he leaves. And so you go through the, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the five degrees of separation. You, know, you go denial, uh, whatever. I'm, I'm, uh, what are you going to do now? You got to get your affairs in order. Sure. If somebody tells you that and you got six months yeah. to live. What are you going to do? And you think about your kids and, and all these other things. That night, <clears throat> I'm laying in bed and talk about having, you know, being, being uh, religious. I was all born and raised in a church and had to have a pretty good religious background. But uh, I'm pissed at that point. I'm having a fight with God and we're arguing. Right. Going and, through the stages. And brother, and this yeah. isn't happening to me. And I've got a wife. I've got three kids. If I'm going to die, I'm okay dying. But I'm not okay leaving them alone without me to, to take care of them or do some or influence the rest of their life. And uh, at the time, Marcus was uh, third grade and then EA yeah. and or what, uh, fifth and sixth? Fifth or, and sixth grade, yeah. yeah. They're, not, they're not real old. Right. And uh, so I'm pissed. Remember, I'm wrestling in bed before because I can't get any rest because I'm in so much pain, and now it's a different kind of pain. But I'm fighting in bed. And kind of a, and I asked the doctor earlier about miracles and mistakes. And I'm, I'm telling you, as soon as I'm sitting here, bam, there's just this peace washes over me. And it was like, I got this, dude. You don't have to worry about it again. From that point on, I never thought about it again. No I just knew kidding. I just knew I was going to survive. My job was just to sit back and let the doctors do what they do and just survive. And I never had another doubt. It was, I say another doubt. I mean, you go through all kinds of different emotions. But at that point, I can pinpoint that particular night 
in that particular time laying in my bed that, that just this peace just just washed over me and i was like all right so I'm what good. was the, what was the journey so obviously you know the the doctors there was intervention there was medicine used yeah. what what was the first step and then going through that kind of schedule well after he told me i was going to die in six months <laughs> he says we're going to do some chemo which wasn't part of the original plan and uh he says if uh the cancer doesn't get you first the chemo might because we're going to take you to as close as i can to death and so i started at about 240 pounds and ended up at 187 pounds not a hair on my head not an eyebrow not an eye nose hair nothing in my butt crack nothing and i got a, <laughs> I got a great I got a great butt crack story, I'll tell you. Well, what I think is interesting is it's like, I can't see any hair up here. Honey, get over here. Do yeah. I have any back hair? Yeah. Check it. Check it. All right. Well, you've opened it up, so I got to tell you the story then. <laughs> so, you know, they get you up to rehab, right? And you got to get moving and, and running you through. One of my jobs was to get up and just walk to the nurse's station and back. And I've got this walker, and I've got this guy rehab. He's got a you know, belt around me so I don't fall down. And uh, his name's Alex. Not that that matters, but so I'm walking a little bit and I get to the nurse's station and come back. I think I've had a good day. Chemo's starting to set in. This is going on for several weeks now. Now I'm bald. You know, I've lost all my eyebrows and everything else, all my butt crack hair. <laughs> I, should, I just ruined the story. But anyway, so I'm, I'm plugging along with this little walker and I'm sweating now because it's work. And uh, so I hear this squeak, squeak, <laughs> squeak. I said, dad, dude, you got to stop. You gotta get some new tennis shoes or something because those and at the time you know your hearing's all messed up and uh so that was just really driving me crazy so dad just stop it's not me my shoes aren't squeaking that's it's not me so I, just stop so he stops and i go on squeak squeak and uh alex that's you no it's not me mark it's i mean i don't know where it's coming from it's not me maybe it's the walker i said it's not the walker alex just stop so he lets go and i go squeak squeak and it wasn't a walker, so at this point I I'm not weight bearing on that on my on my right leg at that point. But what had happened, I had worked up just enough of a sweat up that in my butt crack, every time I walked, it would just go squeak, squeak, squeak. <laughs> so you're now I go there do, going through all this. And yeah. that's what's going everybody stop looking around. <laughs> And so now I knew that every time that I was going to do rehab, I was going to walk until I squeaked. And that's when I knew that I had accomplished my goal, you know. So you just worked up enough of you a sweat. You worked up a sweat. Now you got the squeak going. And it was just the funniest thing. There's, I got a bazillion just hilarious stories out of all this, out of a real serious situation. But there's a, there's a lot of humor in it. And you got to have some humor. Sure. Otherwise, it, you know, the doctor originally said if you don't have some uh, uh, a positive attitude about stuff, and support from your family and i completely believe that because there's so many things in our brain that we don't know that the brain does or well, releases or controls and you be you guys being the doctors will have all that knowledge and y'all get all kind of well, intellectual what, on me what i'm trying to wrap my brain around is when your brain said no we got this what did something i mean there's epigenetics going on when no i got this does that change something in your body that allows you to have a better chance of surviving a cancer that kills everyone. Mindset has to matter. Yeah. Well, my, I think mindset's a big, a, a, a big deal. Think about it. you've seen somebody in the office and they have, they walk around, got that permanent frown on their face. You know, they're just negative all the time. And then you've got those other people that walk around, they're just bouncing off the wall and they're happy all the time. And you can't tell why is that? Is that genetics? Is that something in your life? Is it just your attitude? Uh, you know, what is it? But your, your physical appearance turns into what you're, 
your attitude becomes. And if I'm a, a negative, you know, got the frown on my face, then you can see in the body language that that's the personality that you become. So the survival piece, I think, is, is a lot of it is mental, and it's a battle. And if you decide at some point, I'm, I'm going to whip this, then you're going to whip it. I could tell you that story, but I could also, I mean, there's going to be another thousand stories out there that people didn't survive. So, I don't, you know, how do you know? I remember after, uh, it was a good while after you finished everything, you came up with a slogan that I think that you've started to incorporate, and we'll get to it later, but it was, you're getting what you're getting because you've been giving what you've been giving. Right. And that could go back to your attitude really in anything, right? Right. It's a... Uh, that's funny. I stole that from Zig Ziglar. I wish I could say I invented it or kept it, but it well, one, I was I was going to let you float with it. But one, I knew one point in our my my marriage, <laughs> my wife worked for him and you know brought home all the tapes, and so I'm listening to him, and I thought, just that's just so appropriate because yeah. if you give a bad attitude, you're going to get a bad attitude in return. And uh, I, I've just goofed around in different settings where people can get into a, a situation where a lot of negative gossip or you've seen all the nonsense on social media and, and the talking heads and the news and the, uh, the media nowadays, um, you go into a setting and everybody can be fixated on a particular item and have this negative attitude. And you just bring one person in there and you start lacing in a little bit of positive attitude and you watch the whole dynamics of the room change. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. Just somebody's going to come in and change the attitude and, works the same way what you got Patrick no we had a listener ask um I so that's a big long name for the cancer but it I mean it's a type of bone cancer but is it uh is there any other way to describe it he's asking is there is any other way to describe sorry if yeah I forgot listening. you don't have headphones, Mark doesn't have headphones yet. Right, but uh is there any other way to describe that type of bone cancer Mark we've had a listener who has written in and wanted to know Bad. through that long name the <laughs> de differentiated chondrosarcoma yeah, de-differentiated chondrosarcoma. Chondrosarcoma is the common name for it, but because it's special, mm-hmm. it's de-differentiated. Got it. I'll look. I'll look up and I'll just uh, text a link back to them through Spoonie and. and yeah, say. it's a it's it's rare and it's a there's really no other way to describe it other than you've got this cancer that's crossing over between the cartilage and the bone and it's just forming the cancer and that's how come it could end up in a pelvis like that. Golly, it just sounds wild. I. Real quick, just give us a rundown and then of what the activities were that you had to do. I know that you had to do chemo and then you had to do a surgery. So, yeah. So we had 19 hour. Oh, there's another good story in this. <clears throat> so, you know, as doctors, you go in for any kind of surgery, they give you the purple pen, right? So <laughs> I'm going to operate on the right knee. And so as the patient, I'm going to write down, you know, make a mark on my knee, right knee. So when you go in, you don't screw up and mark, the operate on the left knee, right? <laughs> So the plastic surgeon guy comes in and he's telling me all that we're going to do. And they were going to take six centimeters out of the middle of my stomach all the way down past my belly button. I've got a whole brand new belly button, by the way. And they were going to cinch this back up. Okay. And they were going to, they're creating a flap. So if you think about taking a big giant Folgers coffee cup and putting it right here in your pelvis and pushing it all the way through your body, everything that went into that coffee cup, uh, ended up in the trash can. Okay. So you've got a cavity there. Now what are you going to do? So mm-hmm. they were taking this six centimeters out of my ab to, to put into this flap down here to keep my insides from falling out the backside. He's pointing <laughs> to his right, going, his right groin. <laughs> and uh, 
So I took that purple pen and I said, Dr. Reese, make sure you leave me a six-pack of abs <laughs> on my stomach. Now, I've never had a six-pack of abs, so I thought that was the only chance I was ever going to get it. And he did a pretty dang good job. But the orthopedic lady worked for 15 hours straight. And then the plastics guy did a four-hour surgery. All in the same day, all in the same setting. And so 19 hours total is kind of a That's amazing. crazy. That crazy. is a long surgery. Yeah. Which is I mean, just absolutely incredible because a lot of times we talk about where medicine fails. It's certainly you and I talk about that. Sure. Where I feel like medicine could be doing a better job. For instance, controlling diet. Right. But then we have that 15 hour surgery. That is incredible. This I mean, is where it's definitely succeeding. Yes. Well, you guys, uh, there, there's a reason why they call it you practice medicine because there's little perfection in it because you're operating on a human body, which is imperfect to begin with right and so you know we talked a little bit earlier how i went from from one doctor trying to chase down a diagnosis and i feel fairly fortunate that each doctor said i've tried i've made an attempt and i'm gonna have to send you to somebody else and so i kept getting referred over and over and over and it might have been a frustrating situation but in reality the doctor's practicing what he knows and finally stops and says i think there's somebody better to, to help with your diagnosis or help push you down the track to where you need to be. So I appreciated that, that they weren't so egotistical. They said, ah, I got this and this is what your problem is and, and sent me down, you know, the wrong path. So it was kind of a neat progression that I could see how the physician community just, they work together to, to come up with the right diagnosis at the end of the day. So then what were the, uh, were there any other foreign bodies, any other animal parts that maybe you're sporting right now that didn't just belong to you well so i have somebody else's pelvis in me okay and i don't know where you're going on the animal parts but well i mark uh, you're you're a wild man <laughs> i'm not really sure uh so the 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 joke is that they were looking for a, a similar pelvis same shape same size that allograph you know a, a cadaver bone a donor mm -hmm. and uh it took them a while to find something and they finally find it. They call me and say, all right, we can do surgery on this particular day. Now, you Did don't have a whole lot of female orthopedists, right? And the lady that's down at MD Anderson is a female. And so I thought that was a little unusual. And I, I, in my day job, I deal with orthopedic physicians all over the country. And so that's a little uncommon. So I go to the MD Anderson website and look her up. And it's a black lady, which makes it even more uncommon. And when you meet her, you go, oh, my gosh, you are perfect for this job. You are the right person. And she is a freaking ball buster. <laughs> and she always had all these other physicians following her around because she was kind of the pioneer in this particular type of procedure. So she had called and, and finally found the bone and says, all right, we're going to schedule the surgery for this particular day. How does she even do that? Like, how do you even begin looking for a pelvis that's going to fit? In a cadaver there, there's bone. a bone it's bank incredible. there's a bone bank huh you know so you die then you donate your organs and uh they and this is out in california and this is another funny story that i'm at a conference that i go to once a year with all these orthopedic guys and all these vendors are in the you know in the exhibit hall and I, i'm talking about my story to this one guy and he says where did you get treatment i said down in houston md anderson he says when did you do that i said in july you know 2010 he goes i think i know about you i said what do you mean he said well my wife works at the at the the bone 
donor place, whatever oh. it is, where they freeze all this stuff. And she was working, going through bone after bone after bone to try to find a particular one that was this size and it had to go to Houston and blah, 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 blah. And uh, so I said, well, did she, obviously she found what she was looking for. She was, I said, well, does she know anything about the person that I got it from? And she says, yeah, it was a 300 pound black lady. So I thought, all right, I've got this black doctor working on me. I've got this black bone in me. And I'm going to have a little soul when I come out of here. You I'm do dance have, better. No, I do not either. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't help me a bit. <laughs> but I forget what your original question was and if I diverted into the wrong story. No, we were just talking My about. My animal. Yeah, we, just, just the different uh, yeah. the different graphs that you you had to use. I mean, your surgery, although we already know that it's long, I mean, there's there's a process to it. There's a process to the chemo. There was a, you had the best attitude, but it was still work. I mean, I can still remember the the months and months of of watching you show up to your kids' athletic events yeah. and games, trying to pull the truck as close as you could to the football field, just so that you could watch and participate in family activity. And every time I stopped by to see you, you did all you could to smile, and I knew that it was difficult, but you made it through. Yeah, Dude, I as I told him, you believe in miracles and mistakes, and I I I think I'm a walking, living, breathing miracle. And you don't ever take a single day for granted because if you have yet sit and think about it for a second get your affairs in order you've got six months to live i think that would change your life a little bit and the things that you would miss definitely so uh it just enhances your attitude so every day's a great day great day to be alive when you got to the end of basically where you felt okay we're in the clear and now we're now we're counting months and now we're going to count years of mark's survival time what was the turnaround said? Okay, we've, we've gotten to the end of what we're going to do with you. What was that day like? And then how did you and Susan then, Susan and his wife is his wife's name, by the way. How did you and Susan then begin to get into the frame set of, okay, we are now moving on with our life. Every day is a great day. And then suddenly now we're counting up and y'all have made it to a year. And then as I've alluded to earlier, you've made it to five years and now we're already a little over seven, right? So what was it like knowing nine I've done years, this July 19th? Nine. nine. So I was off a year. Yeah. What was it like to, to get to the end of whatever therapy that was? So I mentioned before I you know, started out at 240 pounds. Go ahead. Oh, is it? One minute. Oh. Usually, yeah. um, came out 187 pounds. In Decatur, where we live, they have this. I didn't have any idea, but they had, at the time, there's a service that would fly cancer patients to and from Houston mm-hmm. for free. The guy wouldn't take any of my money. And if you've driven to Houston, it's not the most scenic drive from Dallas-Fort Worth to Houston. It's kind of a beating. It's long, too. Yeah. So he'd put you in a plane, a little private plane, and fly you and drop you off at Millionaire and take you in your car and deliver you to the hospital and then come and pick you up when you're done. And instead of being a five- or six-hour drive, it ended up being an hour-and-a-half flight, which was fantastic. So to start the process, I was in pretty good shape, other than I can't physically move, but mentally I'm okay. But by the end of the process, nine months later, I'm I'm shriveled and withered enough that I can't physically get out of the airplane. And Susan had to call somebody in town to come pick me up, physically pick me up, and put me in my car because I couldn't do it myself. And I remember we're driving home, and I'm I'm just exhausted and and crying and say, I I can't do this anymore. Uh, I'm finished. And he would said either the cancer is going to get you or the chemo is going to get you. And at that point, I was done with the chemo. So we call him and say, we're done. And he said, well, I think we've about tortured you enough, and that's reasonable. 
We have got to finish that story in the next half hour. And then we're going to talk a little bit about that same charity that flies people down to Houston because Mark decided to take his journey and let that inspire him to do something this new. This is going to be really cool. So gonna, thank you for sharing all that. That is cool. We're not finished with you yet, Mark. we got movies to get to. See you in a bit. Take-anywhere platform dedicated to food and fun. We're Spoonie. News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Rich Thomason. The end of the special counsel's Russia investigation sparking fresh speculation that President Trump may pardon some of those charged in the probe. But some of the president's closest advisors and GOP allies fear that pardons could set off a political firestorm. The president preparing to hit the road later today, as White House correspondent Greg Clouston explains. For the first time since being cleared of Russia collusion by the special counsel, the president goes before thousands of supporters at a Michigan rally this evening. Political observers will be watching to see how Mr. Trump addresses the issue, which could be a preview of how he uses it politically during his re-election campaign. The president calling for the resignation of Democrat Congressman Adam Schiff, chair of the House Intelligence Committee. On Twitter, the president writes at Schiff, spent two years knowingly and unlawfully lying and leaking. Mr. Trump also talking about the Jesse Smollett affair, writing that the FBI and DOJ to review the outrageous Jesse Smollett case. The president's blasting Chicago prosecutors who dropped charges against Smollett. He tweets their handling of a, quote, outrageous case was an embarrassment. He's calling on the FBI and Justice Department to investigate. Correspondent Sagar Magani says Mr. Trump calls the case an embarrassment to our nation. Facebook being accused of housing discrimination. The charge leveled by the Department of Housing and Urban Development. HUD is accusing Facebook's ad platform of encouraging, enabling, and causing housing discrimination. Facebook recently vowed to overhaul its ad targeting systems to prevent discrimination in housing, credit, and employment ads. A Seattle bus driver being lauded as a hero despite being shot and wounded by a carjacker. He still managed to drive his bus with a dozen passengers on board out of harm's way. Wall Street, the Dow up 48 points. More on these stories at townhall.com. Take the pain out of ordering your diabetic testing supplies with Diathrive. Diathrive ships the testing supplies you need directly to you when you need them. Best of all, with plans starting as low as $8 a month, Diathrive is probably going to cost you less than what you're paying today. Diathrive is so convinced that you'll love their service, they're offering your first month of supplies free. Simply type the code DOC, D-O-C, at checkout. Diathrive.com. That's D-I-A-Thrive.com. Have you done it? You, you catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror? <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people you don't want to see naked. I, yeah, most of us. But, I mean, you look and you're going, what the? I know. How did 
didn't I get to whatever? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. Hey there, it's Doc Thompson and Brad Staggs to tell you about a different way to shed those pounds. This is brand new tech. It's only been around for a couple of years or so. It was based on research from the University of California that said um, there's a molecule called OEA that's found naturally in your body. It produces it in the Mediterranean diet that when taken in concentrated amounts, it will actually make you feel fuller and boost your metabolism. I've lost about 10 pounds so far. It's amazing. It really is cool. Uh, a company said, we can take this to market and make this great product that'll help you. It's called RidUZone, R-I-D-U-Zone.com, R-I-D-U-Zone.com. It's Brad's work, to, it's worked mm-hmm. for Brad's, worked for me, countless other people. Go to RidUZone.com and try today. You're going to love it. RidUZone.com. Remember that, R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Are you tired of high cable TV rates? Sign up for Dish today and get a $500 bonus offer while supplies last. Plus, lock in your price for two years guaranteed. Call All-American Dish, your Dish-authorized retailer now. 800-570-6630. 800-570-6630. That's 800-570-6630. Offers require credit qualification, 24-month commitment, early termination fee, and e-auto pay. Restrictions apply. I call for details. And welcome back. This is going to be the second hour of episode four of the Gut Check Project here with your hosts, Kenneth Brown. I am Eric Rieger. We're joined today by Mr. Mark Simmelman. We're going to continue his story here in just a brief moment. Quick reminder, if you want to get your daily polyphenol fix, pick up some Autron Teal at lovemytummy.com forward slash Spoonie, and he's wearing it all right here instead of the Spoonie. I love that, and he just he just took off his sweatshirt, and there it was. It's perfect. We've already started getting comments today, so don't forget go to gutcheckproject.com, and you'll take you straight to the page. Go to connect, and you can send us messages. Well, I thought it was really cool. Uh, One of the listeners said that uh, he definitely checked his ego at the door. So we call this the Gut Check Project. You really can't learn if you think you already know things. So the ego is the biggest enemy to learning. So we ask everybody to check their ego at the door so we can talk about anything, including squeaky butts. Squeaky butts. Mark did that right off the bat. First half hour. Ego nowhere in sight. No ego in that one at all. No, no, no. (laughs) Hey, Mark, so we were rounding out the last half hour. You were telling us that uh, you had been to the point where you're like, I'm I'm ready to stop not being able to get out of an airplane. And. We're going to finish it up uh, on that story where you began to emerge out of therapy and, and post-cancer treatment. Yeah. Well, the treatment part was over. Now it was just to, to survive. So I'd go back every, for a long time, it was every month. First year goes by. Uh, of course, I'm asking the chemo doctor now, tell me statistics. How many survivors do we have? You know, who else is like me that's out there? I get nothing. That could be grim. Nothing. You know, we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to have a good attitude. We're going to keep moving forward, right? So it's every month I ask him the same questions, going back down to Houston. Finally, you know, year two rolls around, same questions, same story. He gives me the same answers. Oh, we're just going to have a great attitude about it and blah, blah, blah. Year three rolls around, and what are the statistics? And he finally coughs up. I said, well, you got to have a people. you got to have a database of patients, right? Yeah, we've got a bunch of patients statistically like you. Well, tell me, well, man, how many of them are there? We've got 455 patients in our database. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm not sure that's a statistical analysis, enough of a, a sample size for a statistical analysis. Maybe so. I mean, it's bigger, better than nothing. Sure. But that's all he'd give me at that point. So year four rolls around, 
and uh, I'm beating him up again. What are the stats? How many people are like me, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm getting better. I'm starting to put on weight, growing a little hair back, uh, feeling closer to normal, aside from I don't have a groin muscle and half of a hamstring muscle and somebody else's pelvis in me. And so it, I, I've got some limitations in the things that I physically that I can do. And uh, he's still not giving me any statistics. But at year four, he finally says, well, uh, you're the only patient that we have had that hasn't had a reoccurrence in it, you know, within four years. So typically I'd mentioned earlier that, that uh, they would take out the tumor, but they don't know where to, the, the, the genesis of the cancer. So it, it, it affects all the rest of your organs. And he had said that, you know, we just take out organs as they go until you can't, there's an organ we can't take out and uh, that's it. You, you're done. Lights out. So he says, you're the only case that we have that hasn't had a reoccurrence at the four year mark. Five years roll around. I give him the same questions and uh, he's pretty excited at that point. And he says, you know, I, I think I found the, the secret elixir to solve this problem. Now he had lost his brother to this type of cancer. So he's kind of dedicated his life to solving this problem. Whoa. And, uh, he says, I, I'm, I think I'm going to go from a 0% success rate to 20%. So I go see him the following year. And how's all that going? What are the stats? You know, he's not going to tell me anything. And he says, uh, he, he's pretty, de- I don't want to use the word depressed, but he's not as jovial and as happy as he has been because he it's what he's doing now. What he did on me is not working on other patients. So he, where he thought he had found some kind of cure to help some people, it hadn't worked. So at that point he said, we still don't have any documented survivor. And I'm now at nine years. It'll be nine years this summer. And so I feel like I'm, you know, one of those living miracles. And anybody with this type of cancer, they get funneled to MD Anderson, I take it. Well, it's rare enough that I don't know that everybody, you know, can identify the particular type of cancer and they end up at Anderson. Sure. You know, and I was fortunate enough that I had doctors that said, well, you've got something that's kind of weird here, and I think you need to go in one of those centers of excellence. So my mom spent, you know, years going to MD Anderson, and I had experienced that and the care that they gave you there. So I, that's the first place I'm going. Uh, but there's other places in the country that these guys, these researchers, shared information back and forth. And I'm not saying that, that Dr. Ravi had 455 patients of his own. You know, he they've collected this from, from other clinics or other centers of excellence and created this database and sharing research. So you were patient number one to make it to the five-year survival mark. I did not see him in January. I still go back every year, but I didn't get him on the schedule. I saw the orthopedic lady, but this December when I go back, I will make sure I have him on the schedule so I can give him one more time. Right. What are the stats? Who else is like me? Is there anybody else out there that's that's surviving? How are you doing? Are you, are you creating uh, the new elixir to, to solve somebody else's problem? It's crazy, but that's just like when you are down to your last dollar and you don't know how you're going to get out of the casino <laughs> and you're going to put it on the table and hopefully hit a heart eight or something else <laughs> like that so that you can buy the, the flight home. That is exactly what I was thinking throughout that whole story. I was yeah. just thinking blackjack the whole time. That's yeah. all. I mean, that, that's all. I, that's well. That's actually it's craps, but it doesn't oh. matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mark, I've whenever you talked about uh, the flights down to Houston, this whole journey inspired you to take up a completely new hobby. You still have your other job where you still deal with the orthopedists and. That's obviously something that you've done well in your own entrepreneurial spirit, et cetera. But 
you took up a completely different line of hobbies. And why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, so the guy that runs this nonprofit indicator uh, kept busting my chops. Mark, you need to learn how to fly. You need to learn how to fly. And well, flying looks like a lot of fun. You Theoretically, I mean, it looks kind of like you're a fighter pilot doing all that stuff. But when you actually watch what they go through and what they do and what they have to know and learn, I'm the guy that wants to put the key in the car and just go. Right. I don't want to know all the details and all that other stuff. I just want to drive. I just want to go. And to watch him and all the stuff that he does flying, I said, there's no way. So I mentioned earlier that he wouldn't take any of my money. So the only way that I could give to him because of what he gave to me, getting what you're getting because you're giving what you're giving, um, I decided to volunteer. They do a charity bicycle race every year in August, the week or so before Hotter Than Hell. And we have people that come from all. We had somebody from Czechoslovakia and Australia. We had people from all over the world that show up at this by chance. Um, and then they end up in Hotter Than Hell in Wichita Falls, which is kind of a cool ride. So these people are riding and saying, man, this is a lot harder than Hotter Than Hell because Hotter Than Hell's flat and you have some hills to it, but it's pretty because you're riding in the trees and out in the country. And it, so it's a little bit different. Anyway, so I volunteered my time for this bicycle rally. And, of course, he's giving me the mark. you got to learn how to fly, and you got to do all this stuff. And then I said, Fabio, he's Cuban, but his name's Fabio. Mm-hmm. And when you say Fabio, I think of the long-haired guy on the, <laughs> on the Harlequin romance books and stuff. And I'll tell you another Fabio story in a minute. But uh, anyway, so Fabio, I'm not, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, one of the ladies that runs this kind of head, head dog in charge of the, the bicycle rally, she's a doctor in town. She says, oh, Mark, flying's not like that at all. That's just Fabio. Why don't you come fly with me, and I'll show you what it's really like. How so many she, pilots live in Decatur? It's not that big of a city. There's only five, well, 6,000 people live in Decatur, but 74,000 pilots. It's really yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, you think. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's flying planes. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so she gets me in, and it's like, Jeep, punch in the GPS, and the plane just takes you there, right? It's kind of like in your car, except you've got to drive and give it gas and a brake. But in a plane, you just... You put in the GPS and it just goes. I'm oversimplifying things, but I said, wow, if it's that easy, I can do this. So that was going to be my, I was going to turn 50 that year. And I decided instead of going out and having a midlife crisis and buying a red Corvette, I was going to buy an airplane. I hope I don't offend anybody that had a midlife crisis and went and bought a red Corvette. (laughs) Ken, Ken. Right now. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, I I buy an airplane and, and start to learn to fly. And one thing leads to another, and it became quite addicting. And at 50, I'm not saying you're not too old to learn something, but it was quite a new challenge. And it was uh, I was not in school anymore, so the learning aspect of it was, uh, it's like going back to school. You have to rethink about the learning process. So now I'm flying and bought a second airplane to train in, bought a third airplane, so I've moved up in different stages. And now I'm flying cancer patients back and forth to Houston. Oh, like he was doing for me. So the pilots, you know, they donate their airplane and they volunteer their time and the the nonprofit just pays for the fuel, you know, to help get you to and from. So I'm trying to give back what they gave to me, some survival. So it's really rewarding on my part to take some patients that are going through what I kind of went through back down to Houston and taking care of them, making their life a little bit easier. Now, when you're taking these patients, do you tell them your journey? Most often. Yeah. Wow. So it, I try to instill some kind of hope and they know, you know, on the flight that, well, this guy's been there before and if they don't have any hope and there's a lot of them, we've had patients that would go and we might take them four or five, six times and they don't come back and you know what happened. 
and that's kind of a heartbreaking thing. But we have there's patients that we go on a continual basis. They're just a rotating basis, like I was. I went for nine months, and we've got patients now that are going for nine months or so, and it's you know encouraging to them that they can hear. Yeah, it's not the end. The journey itself to heal is already taxing enough. It's just, it's fantastic that Fabio put together. And I don't know if we mentioned already, but it's Raquel Wings for Life. RaquelWingsForLife.com is where you can, you can learn a little bit more about the specific charity. But basically, in our area, it's not, yeah. they don't discriminate anybody who needs a lift down to MD Anderson and, and certainly can't tolerate the repeated trips in the car all the way down to Houston. This particular charity, it's it's a niche However, it serves so many people every single day, every single week throughout the year. Well, there's angel flights like this in other parts of the country. And sure. serve service Wise County and kind of the surrounding areas. They don't just go to MD Anderson. They go to Tulsa and any other number of, of local places. I mean, the planes aren't large enough that you're flying to, you know, to Tampa or Cleveland yeah, what's Clinic the, or whatever. What's the furthest that you can take a patient? In uh, some of the smaller planes, you probably don't want to do more than two and a half or three hours uh in in the bigger plane you obviously go faster in the bigger plane so you go another two and a half or three hours if you had to but most folks are in the in or in our area or end up in tulsa or md anderson in houston so i would say 90 95 percent of our flights are into houston okay so uh with the uh, with the bike rally i remember that uh five years ago whenever you immediately wanted to start giving back with fabio you signed up uh me <laughs> my family, your family was now working the race. You had uh, you had Susan, you had all three kids, Madeline, EA, Marcus, all helping out with if they weren't riding, they were doing traffic. Same thing for my kids. And then my parents, they started helping. My dad had a had a friend who was also flying there. You immediately began to make it a community event. And this is still before you became a pilot. So you had decided that you were going to give back and your attitude really hadn't changed throughout Go ahead and follow up with uh, what the bike race has meant for Fabio and then tell us a little bit about Fabio's story. Well, it's it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Um, they were serving maybe 30 patients a year, you know, so you might have two, maybe three flights a month. Wasn't huge. Uh, but you, you start getting some notoriety. Um, you start doing the bicycle rally. The word starts to get out. Last year we did 70-some-odd patients down to and back from Houston or wherever. And this year so far, we're, I mean, there you could see if you went to the website and saw the calendar of events and all the patients that are. So we're going to explode way past what we did last year. That's fantastic news. The bad news is that it costs money to do that. Sure. And, you know, so there's this always this fundraising, you know, people in the community, every five bucks helps, you know. And so – we're still working on our outreach to to raise some funds for that. Fabio lost his mother years ago to to breast cancer, and he wanted to have some vehicle to to give back to the people that had cancer. Well, he flies obviously, and so he enjoys doing that. And his way to give back was to transport people back and forth. So he started this probably in two thousand and six, maybe. Uh, and it's just grown and evolved over the last you know, thirteen years or so. And as it gets bigger, it just sucks up more money. <laughs> so I got involved to try to help at some point to to raise some funds to pay for the fuel to get people to and from where they need to go. Pretty selfless act on his part. Sure. Yeah. So what's the funny story you have on Fabio? 
Well, it's not on Fabio, the Cuban Fabio, but my <laughs> wife and I are on our honeymoon in Maui, <laughs> and we're on Kanapali Beach, and the sun's setting in the back, and I've got my camera, and I think this is just fantastic setting, and I will so see you go out there and let me get a picture of you and the sunset in the back, and so I've got, and I think it's on a camcorder actually, so I'm videoing her, and she's walking out and posing and doing her thing in the water, and then all of a sudden, behind her, in about four feet of water, this guy comes up with and his hair just flops flops back blonde hair over the top. <laughs> Muscular looking dude, kinda looks like Ken, you know, physically Fabio fit. Photo bombed your the real fly Fabio <laughs> comes out of the water like a freaking book, you know, and his hair's all flowing and my wife just turns around and she's just going, Now we're just married. I mean, this might have been the second or third day on on our honeymoon that we just got married and she's just drooling over Fabio, looking over in the water. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm actually friends with him. And what he does is he waits in the water water until until people do that and he just does that all day long just all day just flipping his hair back so. well his nickname is aquaman yeah so there's it. another story behind that, that y'all might need to get into right all right the aquaman story what is that something up in uh where were we all pennsylvania where, where were we all don't look at me like that i don't know where you're going with this it's all right I'll remind you later. So I've known Mark for a long time, and I don't know sometimes where he's going. But he did that before the cancer, so you can't say that's a side effect. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any limitations after going through all of this? You're talking about riding a bike. You're flying a plane. Physically, have you noticed a significant difference? Oh, for sure. I can't walk. I can't. I mean, I can walk. I can't jog. I can't run. There's a lot of things I can't do. Uh, not supposed to snow ski. We, we changed that. We changed that. Really? So... Uh, I remember what year it was. Eric and his family, we took some other folks and we went snow skiing. It was either four or five years ago. And uh, they have a thing called a sit and ski. And one year I had seen a, a, a show on TV about wounded warriors. And they were taking people up to the mountains and teaching them to ski and, you know, amputees and whatnot. And I was like, well, if they can do it, then I can do that. I mean, I'm not an amputee, but I could sit in one of those chairs and learn how to ski, right? So we had a big group of us and we go snow skiing and I rent this chair. And learned how to ski. So Eric was my helper to help me get on and off the lift. And I'm sitting in this chair and I've got videos and it's, it's funny. Well, it, it was scary. So well, I, 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 if Mark, Mark is, uh, Mark's a little fearless and he doesn't really, he doesn't really say it. But, um, whenever I remember you getting the lesson on how to pump up the chair so that we can get there for the lift to pick us up. And then they turn to you and they say, or to me, and they say, look, if you're his helper, you always have to make sure his seat is all the way back. And if you need to, there's a safety strap to hold him onto the chair and then be sure and undo that whenever he's out. And, and then this it, is as, as the lift is going around. And what, so yeah. you have to do it quickly. And Yeah, I mean, all, all the cool stuff that yeah. makes you really, really comfortable. <laughs> and uh, so we, we do all that. And it didn't take long uh, for Mark to get the technique down of the leaning and the pivot skis or whatever you call it, wherever you have your arm out. But the one thing is this the one where it just has a ski in the middle and you get the two poles with the skis. Yeah, but you're sitting in a chair and the skis are underneath the chair and you get two little bitty kind of like a like crutch, like a forearm crutch. To basically balance yourself. Yeah. And it's got little skis on the end of them. But what he is, is a low center of gravity snow missile. (laughs) That's what he is. Because he saw, if I remember right, we were up there with the stories, correct? And uh, we were at Park City in Utah and essentially mark says okay well i've done two runs i'm ready and i'm like holy shit this is going to be wild so then <laughs> we go up 
the lift, and then you decided to follow us uh, as we ended up going down a pretty rigorous, bumpy blue. And I'm like, man, I I hope this is what Mark wants to do. And he said, hey, y'all are doing it. I'm doing it. I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell the man no. And so then you made a hard right, and then you made a hard left, and then I saw basically in a very cartoon fashion, both of your arms go back and you're off of the mountain in the air. And I'm like, that is, uh, this is wild. And then a cloud of snow dust. And then you said, I'm fine. I'm fine. We're going to keep going. Yeah. It's, it's an adrenaline rush. It's cool. So you get some limitations was your original question. And yeah, I can't do some of the athletic things that I like to do before because I would play, you know, pick up basketball in three on three leagues and stuff like that. Can't do any of that stuff anymore. I was never a big runner. So I, I wasn't, didn't have my feelings hurt that I couldn't run anymore, right? <laughs> but the other things bothered me. And so snow skiing was one thing we'd always done as a family. And the fact that I could do that. So we just went again this past year. It's probably done it four or five times now in this oh, chair. Oh, really? That's awesome. And I'm now to the point, I'm an official licensed adaptive skier with, you know, card and everything, that I license and everything, that I can go to wherever and present my card and get the chair and go. And I don't have to have the lessons anymore like I did before. I remember so, that year was the year that you bought all the GoPros and we all had yeah. GoPros and we were wearing those and, uh, and filming the family and you going down the mountain. That yeah. was a lot of fun too. You guys should look back at those old GoPro videos. Cause I bet you at some point Fabio was going to pop out of the snow. <laughs> you probably didn't notice it, but just, he just emerges. Yeah. Cause we've yeah. talked about that. He prefers yeah. to hide in the water in Hawaii, but sometimes he'll, he'll, if he's skiing, he'll just hide and do the hair flip straight out of a mogul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Mark, what's what's one of your favorite flight stories that you had with a patient taking him down to Houston, if you have one? It kind of sticks out. A flight story with a patient? Yeah. Or, I mean, you could you could tell us a great flight story with without a patient. Well, the, I can almost imagine with all these pilots in Decatur, it's just, well, we're waiting here for Fabio to take off. Uh, it'll be another uh, 10 It's a long minutes. line. There's 74,000 of us <laughs> waiting in line to, to take off. people live there, 7,400 people, small yeah. airport. <laughs> Well, I I, won't, I can't I don't have one story on me that I would tell so much as I will tell one on my son, and uh, so you know as a parent you want to get your kids involved as much as they can. Hope they find that they they find a passion about something, and whether it's tennis or whatever it may be, it may be you know mountain biking or whatever. So as a parent, I'm trying to expose my son to as much as I possibly can. And I said, well, I learned to fly, so why don't you learn to fly? So he said, all right, Dad, well I'll try. So he goes and tries, and he kind of gets – I don't think he's as addicted as I am, but I think he enjoys what he's doing. So part of your process is that you've got to – you fly with an instructor for so many hours, and then you do a solo. And you don't go very far, but you go and land somewhere that you've done several times and come back and land. He gets his private pilot license, and I guess he's 17 years old at this point in time. And I have another plane that I've taken for some maintenance. And so he is now taking – uh, one of my instructors up to pick up this other pick up my plane and drops him off and it's just from Decatur to Gainesville so it's not it's a little bitty flight he drops Drew off Marcus turns around to take off and come home and he gets to Decatur and his gauges are starting to act a little funny and he thinks something's weird something's going on doesn't hear anybody on the radio and uh, all of a sudden he's got his power starts to go out and he's in his descent to, to land, and so he goes through his check to put his gear down, and the gear's not coming down. Now, this is a 17-year-old that maybe have 40 hours total, and that's it. Is he communicating with somebody at this point, describing he, what's going on? He was until the power goes out and his radios are gone, silent. 
So he can't even call anybody and tell them uh, my gear's not down. I don't know what I'm going to do. So most people kind of get in a dead panic at this point. And, I'm in uh, a dead panic right now <laughs> listening to it. So the fuel gauges over here have sunk to zero. So now he's going, I don't have gear. My fuel gauges are zero. I don't know if I can make it to the airport. And even if I do, I don't know how I'm going to land because I don't have any gear, right? So he's he's too close to the runway to land because the gear didn't come down. So now he's got to turn out and, and come back and set himself up again. He had enough wherewithal, so they have a, a manual gear extension and it's a pump and so he's down there pumping that thing as hard as he can so dad i pumped it until i couldn't pump it anymore and i'm sweating and it's just and i don't know what to do and i'm just hoping the gears down i can see out the window i got one gear on this side and i'm gonna go land but i can't tell anybody you know and of the seventy-four thousand pilots that are living to cater there's a bunch of airplanes <laughs> flying around so you don't want to run into somebody else that's out there right yeah so he he comes around and lands and taxis up to the fuel station and I get this phone call, and I'm sitting in my office, and he says, Dad, I think you need to come up here to the airport. And I said, why? Oh, I had a gear problem, had a gear malfunction, and, and uh, I'm still kind of nervous and shaking. I said, I'll be there in a second. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Is the plane okay? Yeah, the plane's fine. Okay, I'll be there in a second. So I you know, jump in the truck and show up at the airport, and, and he's standing outside. And I've never seen him really nervous or, or stressed out about something. And he comes he comes running out of the where the airplane is and just – bear hugs me as I get out of the door of my truck and he's still just kind of shaking. He said, dad, you just don't know how I felt like. So it's kind of one of the legendary moments now at the airport that this 17 year old kid has encountered a catastrophic event and handled the challenge like a champ. Yeah. So Did, that is impressive. If, if you meet Marcus, he's one of the most mature, stable Eddie or steady Eddie stable kids for his age that I've ever encountered in my entire life. He's uh Marcus is uh is a very unique and, and incredibly intelligent That's individual. That's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's all my fault. <laughs> well, we got uh, just a few seconds to the bottom of the hour. We will be back with the last half hour here in just a moment. If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 800-296-1252. It looks like you're losing. I am. Are I'm, you losing weight? I am losing. I've lost about 10 pounds. How are you doing it? Funny name, but I've done it with Riduzone. RADUZone.com and the stuff works. It's, you know, you get into all that, the molecule, this and the found in that. All I can tell you is it, it's a, it makes you feel full and it keeps your mind 
off of wanting to overeat. And also boosts your metabolism yeah, so you're burning does. more. Yeah, it Try does. it today. It's going to work for you like it's worked for Brad and countless other people. RidUZone.com. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Fast Track student loans can get your student loans out of default, stop any wage garnishments, stop collection calls, and stop seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and get your student loan payments down to as little as $25 a month based on what you can afford to pay. 800-709-4395. 800 We are back now for the last half hour of episode four of Gut Check Project. And we closed out the last half hour with Mark. Did you tell us it was your fault that your son is so intelligent? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because that's the, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry that you've you've owned that responsibility. But no, seriously, I think we were talking about how he's as mature as he is for a 17 year old. Yeah, I mean, kid. I was asking you, how in the world does a 17 year old have the composure to pull that off? That was amazing. So during my cancer if i'm not gonna make it i had pulled him aside one day and he's 10 or 11 years old and i said marcus if i'm not here who's gonna be the man of the house and he didn't really answer that he just kind of looked at me as like a 10 year old would and i said that will be you and he kind of said all right and he decided that at that point he was going to take on the role so during all of my treatment he was the man of the house as best as he could taking out the trash didn't have to ask him twice feed the dogs didn't have to ask him twice i mean he took the roles that to help susan as best as he could as what he thought dad was doing at home that he's going to be the man of the house and taking care of the girls taking care of the women said you got to take care of the women all of his sisters are older by the way yeah Yeah. so he did and i think uh that's good and that's bad and I, i had read a book at one point the one book in my life that i read that was a joke eric you are bad at delivering punchlines. See, I told you. <laughs> but it said, it talked about raising kids, and it said, whatever you do, don't force your children to grow up too fast. And what did I do? I went and told my son, you got to be the man of the house at 10, and you got to grow up too fast. So I've kind of carried that around with me for a while. And he's grown up, and he's been the more mature kid in his grade that sometimes some of the other goofy things that those kids do, didn't he didn't relate to. And that wasn't his in his wheelhouse. And I'm still waiting on him to do something really stupid so I can ground him <laughs> and or, or beat him or something, you know. And and he's just he's been a really good good kid and uh, way more mature than he should be. Yeah. So when you read that book, you felt like you may had done some damage, but well, yeah, because I look back and you know it tells you some of the problems that if your kid grows up too fast, you put too much responsibility on them too soon, and don't let them be a kid. Don't let them make some stupid mistakes, juvenile mistakes that. Uh, I may I, actually I probably made enough for the both of us, so he didn't need to make any. But it, it was stuff like that, and it's just, just growing pains that you got to learn through some trial and error. And he he didn't do any of those things. He, I'm not saying he's straight laced, but he was he was mature and made mature decisions where everybody else in his grade was not. And like I said, I kind of want him to go do something silly and stupid and immature, but. He hadn't done that yet. Well, as a uh, as a non-parent and a huge fan of Marcus, that is a top-notch kiddo, and I can't imagine 
him being any other than just an incredible person and a young man as he gets older. He's a good kid. Good kid. Absolutely. Um, All of this has led to you becoming a pilot. And now I know that you have been getting some training beyond learning how to be a pilot. You've been getting some training in a completely different arena. What is that? Well, for years, people have told me, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. Well, I don't know how to write a book. You've only read one. How I've only read exactly. <laughs> but I can tell a story without a punchline. Well, you, that was another joke. Yeah. And y'all should be laughing. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, so I kind of had this vision that I would sit down and just regurgitate and tell stories about this treatment and what I've been through, and somebody else would write the book and put it all together in whatever chapters and uh, where it needed to go. And my wife, being the best promoter that I know, uh, has run across people that say, oh, they can help write the book. And at the same time, oh, well, would you come tell my company this story? Because that's a pretty inspiring story, and, and I want to give people some hope and some motivation into what they do and have a, a right attitude about work or life in general and relationships, et cetera. And so one thing led to another. Um, I've hired a, a, a speaking coach. Uh, I guess I have jumped in with both feet as it relates to to public speaking and motivational speaking, and it all revolves around the the story of uh, faith, family, friends, your attitude, your confidence, and your expectations, and kind of how all that stuff wraps up into you get what you're getting because you're giving what you're giving. So you give something back, and you're going to get something back in return. You can give something negative, you're going to get it negative, positive, positive. So it's 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 kind of come full circle. So now, uh, one of the main reasons that I'm doing the public speaking is obviously for motivational people, for other motivation for other people and help. But the any any fees that I get from the speaking that I'm donating back to Raquel's Wings to help pay for, obviously transportation back and forth in the cancer world. Sure, that's amazing. Yeah. So you, you found another avenue to give. Yeah. And you probably enjoy doing it. Yeah. So well, it's 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 as rewarding. I mean, you think you're helping somebody else, but really in the giving, it's uh, self satisfying. So the more you do it, the more satisfying it becomes to you. It's kind of a weird thing. I think I'm helping somebody and I'm making their life better, but it's really benefiting me. I absolutely love that because remember in the first half hour when we were talking about the kids getting up to speed with everything. My daughter, you weren't on the show, but my daughter is in her theatrics class. She's in sixth grade. They did improv training, and the improv training is everything that you're talking about right now. You say yes and, you don't argue, you go yes and, you trust. That's followed by listening, followed by making a statement. You said yes and, I'm going to do this, I'm gonna trust that I'm gonna be good at it, and my statement is gonna be my story. That is so cool. Yeah, it's life. You know, you think you get it, people have it all figured out, or you look at somebody and go, "Well, they they their life's in great shape. They do something great. What a great looking family. What a, whatever." But on the inside, people have all these other things and the baggage that's in your head, and uh, you kind of got to clean that mess up sometimes. When they look at you and say you're in great shape because of the six pack abs, yeah. Do you ever feel guilty that it's? <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Hey, Mark, I've seen, and in, and beyond Raquel's Wings, I've seen you and your family give in multiple different avenues. So that's that's nothing new to you whatsoever. But you also had a little entrepreneurial spirit as you were hosting several people out at your lake house. Um, 
It's probably a little over a year and a half ago. And you wanted to inspire your friends, and that included me. And we were all going to put our heads together, and we were going to develop something. How's that, how's that we were, going? We were going to do a whole new business venture. Uh-huh. And it, I thought it was just perfect. Ken, I mean, this is up your alley, by the way. Oh, I, it, right up your alley. The squeaky butt thing, I hope. You're getting, really close. You're getting close. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got, a, I've got a doctor. I've got Eric, who's been involved in more than one business. Uh, it's kind of a techie person, internet, uh, wow, Facebook, Google, a, all that other stuff that goes on. What a ridiculous on, right? endorsement! <laughs> um, I, I had another guy that was that was instrumental in in starting businesses and running, you know, building catalogs and things like that, internet wise. And then me, and I'm just out there having fun and throwing out ideas. Oh wait, wait! Before you get further, he also has two big green eggs next to each other, and he wanted to create a cover for them that looked like a bra. So that was funny. <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> so we're sitting on the top of the dock one night having a couple cocktails and telling stories. And what if we could do this? What if we could do that? And, you know, y'all had made a comment earlier that if we could talk about boobs, masturbation, and can I say that on the air? Well, yeah. I did already. Oh, well. And, 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 and it's gone. Yeah, it's already gone. <laughs> and, and poop, right? Then you got a great audience out there to choose from. So, we decided that we were going to have a, a kind of a Facebook page or Instagram page or, or a whole new app that we were going to create, and it was called ShowMeYourPoop.com. <laughs> what do you think of your partner now? Yeah. <laughs> and so we thought about you because, you know, it leads into Entrantil and all that goes on with that, and you're thinking, I'm, now I'm thinking about advertisers. I've got toilet paper people. I've got squatty potty people. I've got all this stuff in there that help on Show Me Your Poop. And you can be clinically diagnosed by taking a picture and sending that out and posting that out there so that and I have to tell you where this all came from. So my son, my mature son, <laughs> goes into the stall in the high school, and they're fairly regular at, at high school. I don't know if it's athletics or whatnot, but there's a particular young man that's sitting next to him in the stall and starts screaming at him, and he gets up and takes a picture and sends it via text to my son, who's in the stall next to him. So they're taking pictures of poop, and that kind of one thing led to another, and I thought, well, that's kind of funny. And if they're doing it on Instagram, but you'd get in trouble at school if you're kind of sharing the stuff back and forth. So I thought, well, we'd have our own Instagram or Facebook-like page that you could garner advertisers, and you could do some clinical diagnoses with it. I thought that'd be right up your alley. Showmeyourpoop.com. So we still own the domain. We still have it on. Um, there's an Instagram page. I don't have any followers yet. Yeah. <laughs> because the person, Eric, that was supposed to build the app never got the app built. But we at least got the, we never actually set up the company. But you, we do have the. You did say we were talking about it late at night. I, I, did, I did wake up the next day and I didn't, I didn't act on it yet. You'll know that's funny that you guys were doing that, but you'll notice that I'm not like shocked or anything because when I see patients, they're like, "Oh, um, yeah, let me show you," and they will have just multiple pictures. And, see, and just show me, and I'm like, I, "The first one was good. We can stop." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, "Is that Fabio? What the? Is <laughs> Popping up in the background. <laughs> we've had people show up to. Uh, we've had people show up to the Indo Clinic. Believe it or not, with no photo, but. The whole sample in a bag oh, just no. to see if it's something that we would want to just to, to look through. It is it fascinating because 
poop right now is big business. Let's look at businesses like uh, Naveen Jain. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> his, uh, uh, Viome. Viome. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of money being thrown at this. This is like an entrepreneurial billionaire who's decided that poop is the next great frontier. Well, the perfect wipe is a three-square wipe. <laughs> and I can, I, I've got videos that I can show you that the perfect wipe. That's, oh, so, that's more of the story. So on this app, you will have like wiping techniques. Yes, and things you like think that. about. And we're just yeah. I mean, you think about a web page, and you have all the the headers up at the top, and you can have the greatest poop, the biggest log, the wipe, greatest wiping techniques. The <laughs> well, best, this is I've best done blogs. Thing. I've done blogs on the perfect pooping angle. Um, on for me. Why didn't you introduce me to him before? Because I get him excited about I this. And this like this, this, this would best. probably go somewhere finally. Mark. I encourage everyone to go to YouTube and type in <laughs> rectal bleeding. That's what I'm known for. Yeah. Butt bleeding. <laughs> That's exactly right. I figured that here at least. Well, you can pitch the idea. It's being recorded, and uh, oh, nobody can back funny. out anymore. Yeah, it's on tape now. So, Jim and David, you're from. welcome. You don't have to be a part of this particular <laughs> conversation. <laughs> um, so, uh, Mark, let me know before he showed up here that he had five top five all movies or all time movies that he thought were his favorites. And uh, for everybody, to see if I think these are pretty. They're pretty normal for. A, uh, a man of your age to pick out as uh, some of your favorite movies, but you listed probably in no particular order, Braveheart, the nutty professor tombstone, American pie, and the uh, quintessential animal house. Okay. So all, I, all really good movies, all really good movies. We've all three seen them, but I've got a really cool game here for the two of y'all. <clears throat> if you know the answer, you just simply say your name and I'm gonna call on you. It's going to be pretty quick. Uh, I've got uh 10, 10 movie lines here, five, uh, two from each of the five movies listed. I'll read them out, and I guess I could try to pretend to say it the way that they say it in the no, movie. No, you have to say it the way that it was said in the movie. Okay, so this is going to be really interesting. Um, but regardless, I'm doing my best. You have to say your name. So simply just say, Mark, and then I call on you. Spit out the answer. Let's see if you can beat uh, if you can beat Ken. Ken, same thing. You ready? Okay, first line. Remember, the movies are Braveheart, Nutty Professor, Tombstone, American Pie, and Animal House. So, first line. It's not space shuttle. It's not a space shuttle launch. It's sex. Ken. Oh, oh, oh! oh this is how the game is played. Like no. you have to like call the other person. I think he just cheated and said that you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with American Pie. That's exactly American Pie. You just gave him a point, Mark. I know. Finished. I didn't know the answer. <laughs> I have not yet begun to defile myself. Oh, Ken. Tombstone. Tombstone. Nice. Nicely done. Who said that? Val Kilmer. Exactly. And he was playing Doc, Doc Holliday, Holliday, who was here in North Texas. Which, which I'm going to go ahead and do the best line of that movie. Yeah? I'll be a Huckleberry. Yeah, yeah that's why I didn't put it on there. Yeah, it's that, too easy. Yeah, that was an easy one. Um, every man dies. Not every man lives. Well, Mark. Mark. Oh, uh, Mark. Braveheart. Brave, I don't have Braveheart. Yeah. The, the accent gave it. The accent <laughs> gave it away. You did so good. <laughs> Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. Skin. Animal House. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. sorry that y'all. But so wait a minute. Rejected. Wait a minute. I want. I want to hear you say it one more time. I want. I want a little more character out of you this time. Uh -huh. I, I need some feeling. And let's imagine you're staring at John Belushi. Get it in your character. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Much better. <laughs> Excellent. 
Oh no, seven years of college down the drain. Animal House? Yeah, yeah Animal, Animal House. House. You didn't use your name, so nobody gets a point. But well, anyway, way to go. We both got a point. We'll take it. There you go. Uh, let's see here. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. Mark, Braveheart. There we go, Mark. Nice. Your accent kills it. Yeah. We know. Hey, I'm the one with the gluteus minimus. Mark. Oh, and you can't fail. It's your favorite movie. American Pie? No, oh, it's Nutty Professor. First wrong answer. Oh, <laughs> so I get I lose two points. Here I only had one. Oh, he's a little Hercules. Show me that muscle. Oh, oh that's an easy one. Okay. That's Nutty Professor. Wait, okay. wait. I want Hercules, you to Hercules, one, Hercules. I, I want you to do that. I want you to take it one step further. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> it's a great movie, though. Oh, it's funny. We'll just tell your mother we ate it all. Oh, American Pie. Nice. Okay, well, basically, uh, just so, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna live up to my expectations. I didn't even keep score. It was a lot of fun. So you both winners. Thanks a lot for participating. In, so on uh, our gut check project intake form, yeah, don't you ask that question? The gut check project intake form for the guests, I do ask what their top five favorite movies are. That's correct. Didn't you say we had kind of an unusual one? Somebody tried to be a guest recently. We did have an unusual, um, or or you did, or you thought their movie choices were a little odd. Yeah, no, their their movie choices were a little odd. It was more macabre, you know, <laughs> Chainsaw Massacre, Devil's Rejects. I think were two of them that were in there. So that was interesting. I can't wait till that person comes on the show. Yeah. So Eric, when when people apply to be guests and they could be, um, you know, New York Times bestselling authors, they could have all this other stuff, all these accolades, and pilots from Decatur, pilots from Decatur, and you know. It, Joe Rogan applied to be a guest, and he rejected him because of his movie choices, which yeah. I think was a little. It's he's, Joe's too violent. You know, <laughs> he's going to have to work on a submission before he's going to get making it back. <laughs> Eric set the bar pretty high to be a guest here. So, <laughs> hey, uh, another quick question that you had during the break, you brought up. Uh, you asked a question of Ken, and that was cbd you said that you have a little bit of uh of a pain situation so could you go ahead and line the question back out again well i've got everywhere i go i wear flip-flops to put on shoes just absolutely kills my feet pain very painful sleep in bed with my feet up okay. is painful so i gotta hang sleep on my stomach hang my feet off the edge of the bed this is all after chemo this is because it. of the chemo and the mm-hmm. neuropathy that that i had it in my fingertips my fingertips have come back pretty good but the front half of my feet uh, I, I really don't have any feeling in there, which is interesting, but yet I have neuropathy. Neur, neur, say the word. Neuropathy. Pain. Neuropathetic pain? That's not the right word. <laughs> I learned that in one book. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I had gone into the pantry one day to get some a can of something, and I watched a can of corn kind of in slow motion fall off the pantry down and it went straight to my foot and i'm watching all this happen kind of in slow motion bam on my big toe oh i know that has gonna hurt but i couldn't feel it you know and end up your toe turns black and it falls off but I, I did not never felt the, the the can of corn hit my foot so it's kind of a weird type of pain so y'all were talking about the cbd earlier and uh i was thinking i was wondering aside from taking you know medication with all the side effects that come with it is there something that you guys do or, or know of? Does the CBD work that could help with this neuro, neuro, the neuropathy? But neuro, the, the neuropathic pain. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. So Ken, In my feet. 
Yeah, Ken, he's not the first one to ask us that question. Um, go ahead, I'll let you. Well, very similar, we were talking about the question that was brought up with the anxiety. Neuro- neuropathy or neuropathic pain, it's just over-firing of a nerve. And so the drugs that are out there, like Lyrica, that you see tons of commercials on. So people that uh, have chemotherapy can experience this. People with diabetes can end up experiencing this. People with post-trauma can have this kind of thing also. So it's a very common thing. Common enough that you'll see these pharmaceutical companies take ads all over the place. Sure. Another common one is, of course, uh, gabapentin, uh, mm-hmm. or also known as Neurontin, is a uh, is another drug to use. So, so CBD probably in its role to kind of help in this particular area. How would that? Uh... Well, in this way, the way that CBD works is once again, it just gets everything to go back to normal, get you back to balance. If your nerve is firing too much, it just presses the reset button tries to get that nerve to calm down. And the way that it works is it sits on the other side of the nerve, meaning presynaptic or postsynaptic. What is really unique about CBD is that it sits on the postsynaptic area so that it can jump across and stop that current that's coming through all the way. So it just kind of calms it down and says, okay, just settle down a little bit. When we're looking at medications to do this, like Lyrica, I went ahead and pulled them up here. The side effects... And this is the problem with it. You get a lot of side effects. Dizziness, drowsiness, loss of balance or coordination, dry mouth, constipation, edema. Going back to dry mouth there because my allergies, I've taken so much Claritin D right now that I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm taking Lyrica. <laughs> um, edema, tremors, blurred vision, weight gain, problems with memory and concentration. So what I really like about doing natural treatments like Atrantil, like CBD, is that these are natural, these are already in nature, and usually you don't end up with all these incredible side effects. And a lot of the side effects we don't even realize <clears throat> until um, they've been out in the market for a long time. So a lot of times these things, these polyphenols and CBD, been around forever, and we're just now discovering the true potential of them. Yeah, well you, you had mentioned, uh, I think it was two weeks ago uh, on that show, actually uh, the maybe it was last week's show that you said that Tylenol actually works on the endocannabinoid system, but this is actually a natural way to activate the endocannabinoid system to control pain, correct? Yeah, so there was this article that came across where if you look at Tylenol, and it probably wouldn't, like, like we discussed, it probably couldn't get FDA approval now because it's one of the leading causes of liver failure. Right. Well, they really never understood how it worked, and now it's looking like it works on the endocannabinoid receptors. So CBD would work similar to what we're already buying that uh, is causing liver failure. And so that's one of the ways that it does work. So, Mark, we didn't prep you for this part of the conversation whatsoever. Had you ever heard of the endocannabinoid system and that everybody has an ECS? No. I do have a buddy that the lake was telling me about the CBD and said, you ought to try some of this stuff. So he's recently started taking some to help with some anxiety or some issues that he's got going on um but i think if you take it right before you go get your pedicure that may eliminate some of the tingling or tickleness <laughs> that you get in your feet eric it maybe maybe it would mark thank you for your nice little tip in fact i think you were the one who gave who took uh, my oldest gauge to his first pedicure so i do need to thank you for yeah. that and he, he got you to go he got me to go sweet is that your story has inspired me enough to try and get a pedicure Oh yeah, you're gonna like it. You're gonna walk better. You're gonna. Feel, I mean, I. It's like a haircut for me now. I mean, I've only had one, but the moment <coughs> one haircut. Yeah, yeah. I've only had one haircut. 
But the moment that uh, that they end up having an, an easier marketing uh, angle towards males, I think that they'll 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 do a little bit better. But um, last question about the CBD that I had for you: being a long uh, or being a cancer survivor, and seeing the progression of what people have tried to do to help people who've suffered from cancer, would you find it, uh, would it when you were looking for new alternatives to make yourself feel better? going through the chemo and going through the surgery and the recovery or what have you, did anybody really even approach you about that angle? Because we're talking about almost 10 years ago, and I think a lot has changed over the course of a decade on how people end up feeling better going through a, a journey like that. Now, that was never a conversation. And part of what they did with the chemo is they absolutely fried my kidneys. Yeah. So they don't function as well as they should. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so a lot of the drugs that you would mentioned have some side effects that, that mess with your kidneys or your liver and I just chose just to deal with the pain and to me pains like any other emotion you're happy you're sad or whatever that you can control your own emotions so I felt like I could control my own pain I really kind of did that after I was sleeping on the floor a long time ago I decided that I could control my own pain and I do for the most part but it sure would be nice not to have to and so this is something that's fairly recent new to me uh, whether it's medical marijuana or whatever it is, I, I, you know, I think that's maybe an untapped resource that, again, it's organic. Did did we so say I, medical marijuana? I'm Chef Patrick here, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's his, uh, you know, that's his magic cue. Yeah. It's like uh, Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. Whenever they would say the magic word of the day, medical marijuana, Chef Patrick. He just oh. appears. <clears throat> like two. There he is. Yeah, two seconds ago it was Matt, and then we say it, and Matt transforms <laughs> into Chef Patrick. No, actually, sir, right. I was listening. I, I listened very closely on the CBD conversation, and um, you know, I can't relate to. Well, I can't actually. My sister just uh, re is is uh, cancer free from colon cancer. Um, but we, we spoke a little bit about, you know, I lost my father to pancreatic cancer with the same, the only indicator he had was back pain by the time they diagnosed. And that was in the seventies. Right. Um, but you know, as I started doing research, my mother died in a diabetic home. I'll make it really quick. You know, CBDs are such a great natural supplement and you guys know, um, I don't even really drink caffeine and I run around here. Like, um, we won't talk. I just, you know, I'm running around like I, I don't, I don't belong in this building. You know, I'm just running around. <laughs> Let's go. But, um, you know, I took some CBDs right before uh, I didn't sleep well last night. I got up, I did a three and a half mile run at four thirty, Um, and then I was just kind of wound up. I took some CBDs right before coming to this side of the building and it's great. I just got off a big phone call with a potential advertiser and I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. Not just the relaxation that occurs because I used to suffer panic attacks, the focus that comes with it. Yeah. I think that's a big factor as well. No, 100%. In fact, just the other day, uh, there is a, a young man indicator by the name of Clark, and he recently was diagnosed. I believe it was a, uh exacerbation and um, uh, metastases of uh, testicular cancer. Ooh. And Unfortunate. They, they, his prognosis right now actually I think is going to be okay. But he began taking CBD to help with his pain, and he's, he's run the gamut a little bit. And right now, he says he doesn't have the pain nearly at the level that he did before. And so, obviously, it comes without the side effects of everything that you just listed before. So, one of the things that I'm getting a lot of questions of is, you know, all the other 
issues surrounding it, the pharmaceutical companies, we are going to be having guests on to actually cover the Farm Bill, which discusses that. Texas on April 5th. What's happening April 5th? April 5th, uh, hemp becomes completely non-controlled substance, and they bypassed basically the, the active legislative session, if I understand it correctly, to where that's not going to be an issue. So basically in a week, we can not worry. And if you're unaware and you're listening from another location here in Texas, there's 254 counties, but around 12 of them have got some, I would consider, overly active either enforcement trying to go after and shut down CBD usage. And then basically, it's, it, I don't think they're trying to be mean. I just think they're somewhat ignorant. I think they're, yeah, I just think that they're uninformed and we're going to yeah. be having, you know, that's going to be part of our mission. My, my deal is I want to bridge the gaps in health. I want to bring, talk about, geeky science stuff but also bridge the gap to natural solutions and i think that that is a good that's just another puzzle piece that we're going to be using 100 percent, mark it has been an incredible show i can't believe that we've already raced through two hours but this is mark simmelman uh he soon will have up a website where he can uh, basically share uh that you're going to be a public speaker for hire and you're going to use it to benefit your chosen charity, which is Rock Hill Wings for Life, which you can find more out about it at rockhillwingsforlife.com. They transport uh, patients down to get medical care for cancer at MD Anderson and usually up in Tulsa. Uh, anything you want to add? No, that's it. Go check out the site. Every $5 helps. Every $5 helps. Very, very inspiring story. And thank you for everything that you're doing to give back. You Glad get, you guys had me. You get what you're getting because you give you what, what you give. give. What a great show. So, Dr. Brown, next week we'll have Gut Check Project on again, and I believe we're going to have a great guest. Stay tuned. Thank you all so much. Episode four's in the books. We're done. All right. Thanks, Mark. This is the only 24-hour, take-anywhere platform dedicated to food and fun. We're Spoonie. It's cutting into your exercise time. It's stabbing you in the back nine. And it's attacking your peace of mind. It's pain, and it's getting in between you and the life you want to live. CBD Medic targets your pain at its source. It's fast-acting relief with active OTC ingredients, plus the added benefits of THC-free hemp oil. Get back to your life with CBD Medic, available online and at CVS. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's cutting into your exercise time. It's stabbing you in the back nine. And it's attacking your peace of mind. It's pain, and it's getting in between you and the life you want to live. CBD Medic targets your pain at its source. It's fast-acting relief with active OTC ingredients, plus the added benefits of THC-free hemp oil. Get back to your life with CBD Medic, available online and at CVS. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.